Welcome back once again, everybody. I'm Don Seifert. It's the Dr. Tree Fruit and Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Carrie Peter. Say hi, Carrie. Hello. And this is our fifth fruit bite. It's Monday, June 6, 2022. And Carrie, you have updates for yourself, uh, an entomology update, which I think yes. was an update. Is that correct? Yes, I've got two updates today. Okay, very good. And I will let you rock and roll. Okay. All right. Thank you. So before I start the updates, the one thing I want to give a shout out is uh, the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center will be having a grower field day on July 7th. That's the Thursday. And it's an all day event. Um, there's stuff going on in the morning, uh, some demonstrations, then there's a lunch, and then we've got three sessions that people will visit in the afternoon. Um, if you are interested in it, I would recommend you email me at kap22 at psu.edu. So that's K as in kite, A as in apple, P as in Peter, 22 at psu.edu. And I will send you a registration form. We're doing registration a little differently than what we normally do, say, like for meetings, since this is a grower field day. So just want to give a shout out that we have a, the Penn State Frecker Grower Field Day on July 7th, 2022. So that's almost a month from now. Okie dokie. So on to the updates that everyone's been waiting for. Okay, first, I've got two entomology updates. I've got one from Greg Krofcheck and then one from Dave Bittinger. So this is what Greg has to say. Uh, based on the previous year flight dynamics, it is expected this first codling moth generation will be active at least until the end of June. Pheromone traps are the most reliable method to assess the real pest pressure in an individual orchard and the best tool to help in deciding it and for how long insecticide treatments will be necessary. To improve efficacy of codling moth pheromone traps, they should be placed as high as possible within the tree canopy. While this is an optimal timing for, um, while this is the optimal timing for the second treatment against codling moth larvae, with products such as Altacore, Besiege, Delegate, Exeril, Verdeprin, or Volium Flexi, not every orchard will require a third or more additional treatments. Insecticide applications against codling moth with insecticides listed above should also control tufted apple bud moth and oblique banded leaf roller. In organically managed orchards, if needed, weekly applications of codling moth granulosis virus, that's CPGV, as in Sidex or Maddox HP, will provide good control of codling moth while applications of BT-based products or Entrust should effectively manage leaf rollers. Okay, as of June 2nd, the flight of the first generation oriental fruit moth adults appears to be completed around Pennsylvania and OFM control is no longer effective as most survived larvae are actively feeding under cover either inside fruit or growing shoots. Checking for wilted or injured shoots on stone fruit or injured fruit on apples should provide a good indicator of potential OFM pressure later during the season, as two or three more OFM generations will be active until October. It is also too late to control palm curculio adults. Most palm curculio caused injuries are already present on fruit. 
Uh, with only a single plum curculio generation per season, plum curculio adults will reemerge from pupae in the soil during mid-August, only to feed for a short period inside orchards. The adults cause pinpoint injuries on fruit, then migrate outside of the orchard for the winter and come back next spring. If pear silla control is required, then admire Pro, Ectara, 25WP or a sale 30SG plus a quart of summer oil should be very effective for parasilla control nymphs. Other products such as Delegate, Exerol, Savanto, Mavento, Verdeprin, or Closer should also be considered if multiple applications of insecticides will be needed as the season progresses. And I also know as a side note, Surround is also another control for parasilla as I have seen on my own pears, which are completely white right now. <laughs> and finally, brown marmorated stink bug adults are almost completely out of overwintering shelters. In order to prevent them from establishing in the orchard, if needed, a single application of effective insecticides such as Endigo, Ectara, or Asale should control both BMSB adults and nymphs. Each application will also control increasing spirea aphid populations and the soon arriving Japanese bee Okay, so that was Greg's update. And then this is just a little bit from Dave Bittinger, who said that rosy apple aphid is lasting longer than normal, but damage is done. So unfortunately, it's not worth spraying for rosies right now. Woolly apple aphid is starting and it's time for Movento plus a surfactant if a problem was occurring last year and you have susceptible rootstock slash varieties. Diazinon can be used for woolly apple aphids later as population builds. Movento has to go on earlier as it takes time to move systemically. So that's a lot to digest for the insects. Um, so for the diseases, the first thing I want to talk about is fire blight management because we definitely are seeing quite a bit of fire blight out there. And hopefully if growers, especially on young newly planted trees, are scouting aggressively for fire blight. Um, so as far as the do's and don'ts of cutting out fire blight, number one, you do not want to cut out infections when it's wet or if it just rained because that's an easy way of spreading the bacteria around. You want to cut out um, active infections early, and this is preferably before necrosis begins to develop. That's when the leaves look brown and crunchy because this is going to limit the spread of bacteria. And the signs you're going to want to be looking for are basically black veins or black areas at the base of the veins of the leaf or right at the base of the leaf. I know this because I've just been cutting out fire blight for the last four days from a young orchard. So that's what early fire blight um, shoot blight looks like and also wilting that goes with it. And you may also see some oozing as well before you see that necrosis. So pruning is most effective when the incidence is low and then as far as, uh, you know, when you see a lot of fire blight, you want to enact a triage method and focus on the youngest trees first and trees that have the fewest number of strikes. You also want to be focusing on salvaging the tree structure. And so this is especially important if incidence gets high is focusing on salvaging that tree structure. And as far as tool sterilization, this is kind of a bit of a controversial topic. Um, bacteria can move about three feet into the tree. So tool sterilization can theoretically be ineffective. However, 
Um, if you have active oozing around, tool sterilization actually might be beneficial because if you have active oozing, especially if it's, since it's been so hot, that ooze can get on the pruning shears and you do have a chance of, of spreading it, especially if you're cutting it back far enough. Um, so, you know, use some judgment as far as what you have going on out there. It's important to practice the ugly stub method. So that's leaving um, about cutting six to 12 inches beyond the site of the fire blight infection and not cutting against flush of the tree trunk. So you want the, you want the be able to the bacteria to sort of sequester in that ugly stub. Uh, as far as the prunings go, if you just throw them in the row middles and allow them to dry, uh, and then they can eventually be chopped up, that should be decent. That's what we're doing right now. Um, you know, there is talk about physically removing them from the orchard. I would say if you are making any big, enormous cuts, perhaps removing them. Um, but, you know, it all depends on what you are capable of doing, because I know this is a really, the whole season's a busy time of year. So it depends on the amount of crew you have, if you're able to physically able to remove this, um, to remove the prunings from the orchard um, and able to get them to the burn pile. If not, stick them in the row middles, allow them to dry, then come in and chop it up with your mower. Uh, it is important not to be overzealous when cutting. I always hear some growers saying, oh, I filled up four large bins of cuttings from, you know, cutting out fire bite. You're doing more harm than good because the harder you cut, the more you are going to tell the tree, I need to grow more shoots. And if you're telling the tree to need to grow more shoots, that means that that tree is really pushing new growth. And any bacteria that's in that tree is also going to be moving pretty, pretty you know, aggressively as well. So you actually might be seeing more shoot blight as a result of that. So, you know, be judicious, um, especially in those big older trees. Uh, I would say that it's not too late to get out some apogee or kudos to sort of slow the growth, harden the growth of those big older trees where you may see, um, where you might see some shoot blight. Also, one thing to note about shoe blight and big older trees is that pretty much now through about the middle of June, end of June, usually it's in the month of June, we see the type of shoot blight called canker blight. And this is shoot blight that arises from the bacteria that's activated in leftover canker. So what does that mean? It's mean at that living tissue bordering the dead tissue, uh, you have the bacteria surviving and they're going to want to be moving to the areas where the tree is growing. So that's the growing shoots. And in those cases, what you will see oftentimes is the bacteria are basically infecting shoots from the bottom of the shoot going to the tip of the shoot, as opposed to the other way around where we see typical shoot blade, where we see the tip of, tip of the shoot becoming infected and going downwards. So this is canker blight. Canker blight can only really be fixed is if you cut out the cankers um, and it can produce a lot of shoot blight within the tree. The only way to really shut that down is through apogee, through plant growth regulators like apogee or kudos, which will harden off those shoots, making the plant cell walls thicker, which prevents the bacteria from easily moving into those growing areas. So just be mindful of those big older trees where you tend to see fire blight every year. Also be mindful of planting new blocks near those big older trees because those big older trees end up being typhoid marys and can easily infect new blocks, okay? 
The other thing to the last thing to mention with Fireblade is using that ActiGuard paint method. And so I'm using paint as a verb here. So you're making a concentrated ActiGuard solution. It's a it's basically you're putting one ounce of ActiGuard into a solution that is a one percent. Uh, mixture of a penetrant, so 1% penetrant. And so whatever you want to use, some organosilicone base. We typically use Tactic. Um, you can probably use LI700. So you're making a 1% solution of that and then adding one, ounces, one ounce of ActiGuard. Mix it up really well and can use like a one liter silo sprayer. And basically you're cutting out the fire blade and spraying the trunk. And what that's doing is that that's going to activate the plant defenses in limiting tree death and also canker development. Um, it's not 100%, but it slows it down significantly. And you can actually help prevent tree death significantly from this, um, especially if you catch it early enough. This is all in the label, that ActiGuard paint method. So I strongly encourage folks to refer to that. Okay, so... The last thing I want to mention, or the last two things I want to mention is number one, sooty blotch fly speck. Uh, so sooty blotch fly speck, the, the models um, tell you to control, or I should say the models, how the models work is that you start 10 days after petal fall and you start accumulating wetness hours. And then when you reach 220 wetness hours, at least that's the model that we use, that's when you want to start sooty blotch fly speck. So we reached 220 wetness hours about maybe a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. But if you're using Captain in your cover sprays, you should be fine because we're in our covers right now. So you should, what growers should, should be actively still controlling the last few weeks. So I'm not too concerned. What I will be concerned about is when we get into the summer, we get frequent rain events and that protection washes off. Sooty blotch and fly speck, those fungi, they're active well through September. So you can still see, get good infections through September. And it really only becomes a problem when you've got frequent rain events and it's really warm and rainy a lot. So remember 2018, sooty blotch and fly speck exploded. These are superficial diseases. Um, so what they do is that, you know, that makes the makes the fruit look um, not, you know, kind of gross looking because it looks like it's got dirt on it and these little tiny fly specks, these little tiny black dots. But what happens if you've got a really massive infection, it really prevents the fruit from storing well later on in storage if you're going to be storing them. So it can cause dehydration. So it, it affects the storability of the fruit. So, and it's also a marketability thing with sooty blotch and fly speck. Very straightforward to control, CAPTAM, regularly throw in tops and if it's really rainy as far as organic controls go organic options sulfur uh oso uh, we found good luck with oso and bacterial based products like serenade or double nickel uh one thing that you need to be mindful with these products is if it's raining a lot you need to be applying these a lot because they wash off very easily these aren't these don't penetrate the fruit skin like something like um topsin does okay so, and the last thing I just briefly want to put on people's radar is bitter rot now. So now that we're getting into the season of warm temperatures and rainy weather, be thinking about bitter rot. So, uh, you know, we're getting near the time when we got to be thinking about bitter rot seriously, where we have to be putting our controls on prior to a rain event uh, because of the way the fungus works. You know, the fungus, when it causes infection, it goes dormant and then that's it. So you want to make sure that the fungicide is on the fruit 
by the time the spore sees it. Uh, so that means it has to be on before that wedding event. Uh, so as we, you could probably maybe start, um, maybe not this week, but maybe definitely next week and the weeks after, uh, you were, in addition to CAPTAM, you can be looking at Aprovia, Omega, you can use Omega at the highest rate, or Omega at the half rate, which is tank mixed with CAPTAN, Flynn Extra, Luna Sensation, or Maravon. Those are your products that you can use as far as if you have really bad problems with uh, bitter rot. And this is like in Honeycrisp, in Nittany, in Empire, Fuji. Um, it's not as bad. Uh, but, you know, those really, those very, very lightning rod um, cultivars, especially, especially Honeycrisp. Uh, so, again, just want to remind folks, be mindful of those wedding events, keeping captain on on a regular basis, and especially on those vulnerable areas like Honeycrisp, make sure you tank mix something else. And you have to be mindful of the PHI of those products like Aprovia and Omega. And make sure you save something like Maravon, preferably for the very end, especially if you're storing anything or if, say, you're, if you are picking Honeycrisp in the middle of September and your last spray is going on at the end of August. So make sure that you've got something that's going to hold there. But we're going to talk a little more in depth, hopefully, about bitter rot in a few weeks. I um, want to talk to my former grad student, Philip Martin, who is the, I consider the leading expert in bitter rot in the Mid-Atlantic now. Um, to come talk on here about bitter rot and what he's learned and what what he's um, you know discovered during his PhD work to give some folks. So I believe that is it. Um, there are a lot to pack in today. As far as so, just as another note with our fruit, um, these fruit bites is that we're since we're out of the really crunch time of the season, we'll probably be doing these maybe every two weeks or as needed. Um, so we're sort of feeling our way out as far as how how the frequency with these fruit bites go. Um, but hopefully, we'll get you know a couple more longer podcasts in there as well. And the last thing I just want to say is that again. The Freck Field Day is on July 7th, and if you want a registration form, and if you haven't seen it in the Pennsylvania Fruit News, because that's where it's been advertised in the PA Fruit News, if you don't get the PA Fruit News and you want to attend, just email me at kap22 at psu.edu, and I will send you a registration form. So, uh, Don, anything else to add? No, I think that's great. Thanks, Kay. I, yeah, I was going to say, take a breather. <laughs> a lot to pack in. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, hope this was helpful as always. Uh, it was good, you know, getting on here and doing this since I had, Carrie and I both had busy weeks last week and uh, we know you folks have been liking these. So thanks a bunch, Carrie, and yeah. goodbye, everybody. All right. Thank you. Bye.